Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. You love what's happening. I'm going to challenge you to join the team, to be a part of what God's doing here, to, um, to use your hands and to say, God, I want to serve your house in whatever capacity that looks like. Um, and so within the community, because I would argue when you start to serve, that's when you start to get a part of community. And we're, we're a community, a church. Coin is koinonia, and in the Greek, it's just it's fellowship. It's coming together. And so with that, we have our coin crews that are starting up. So coin crews are an opportunity, yeah, the opportunity to get together, to hang out, to do life, to laugh with each other. And that's actually a spiritual discipline, by the way, to get together and to enjoy each other and laugh. And so we're creating that space. There's Bible studies. There's um, all different types of opportunities to get to know each other. And so I want to challenge you. That would be a good next step, right, to be a part of Coin Cruise. And if you haven't signed up, it's not too late. And after the gathering in the lobby, we have sort of a table. You can kind of uh, scan the QR code, talk to someone. If you have any more questions, we have that. Um, but you can actually sign up right now, just right in front of you, there's that QR code. Everything that we have in the life of our church is through that. So I want to challenge you to do that. So yeah, that's Coin Cruise. Amen, amen. Okay, now ladies, uh, we have Valentine's Day coming up on February 17th. So put on your best shade of pink. Uh, sign up outside on the table. It's going to be $15. It's going to be here at Coin. Uh, it's going to be at 4 p.m. And it's going to be a great time to fellowship celebrate one another, build each other up, encourage one another, and just love life together. So come out for that. Yes, 100%. And then the next within the life of our church is on February 17th, so that same day. Um, I believe it's the same day, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's at 8 a.m. What we're going to do is we're going to gather here, and we're going to um, put together some lunch and some snacks in a, in a box or in a bag, and then we go take that to the homeless and to those that are in poverty, those that are looking for more in life. And so it's sort of, the scripture says, remember the poor. Yeah. And so it's, it's a way that we, as in spiritual discipline of community, to remind ourselves the gratitude that we have and the hope that we have in Christ. And so I want to challenge you again to be a part of that. Um, if you have any questions on that, you just speak to JJ, Javier, right over here, and he'll be able to answer those questions. So that's February 17th at 8 a.m. Amen. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we are part of the global body of Christ. And so just briefly on giving, we have ways to give at Coin Church so that we can continue to spread the message of God, uh, of God to the people in the community, yeah. continue to support one another. Uh, the ways that we can give, there's a box in the back. You can scan the QR code, go on the website, and you can text the number on the screen. But with that, we're going to transition and talk just briefly about our time in Africa that we had. Yes. Um, and it was such a blessing, such a humble experience that God gave us the ability to see the global church at large, to see the body of Christ at work in an area that really, truly needs it. I mean, we all really, truly need it. But there, there is a level of extreme poverty that you couldn't even imagine. Like, I couldn't imagine before I went out there. We see these videos on TV of the, the starving children on World Vision and think it just seems very far removed and very foreign. Yeah. But when, you're, when, when we got over there and we were walking in these streets, 
Um, there's an area in Kenya where there are slums in Nairobi where there is about 800,000 people that all live in extreme poverty on top of one another in these houses made of sheet metal just kind of put together about maybe six feet by five feet and that's someone's house. It's a mother with multiple children who's trying to care for them on her own because the father's who knows where. Sometimes the father's involved, sometimes they're not. But we walked through these streets with some social workers that work for the organization and actually got invited into some of these homes and sat with some of the mothers and got to hear um, their stories and their struggles and what they're going through. But um, just the sights and the smells are things that you wouldn't believe because they don't have um, sanitation there. They don't have a garbage system, so there's trash literally all over the ground. There's a stream that runs through the little canals that they walk through that's just pure sewage. And... 800,000 people are living in this. So it's just truly shocking and heartbreaking when you're there going through this and seeing that kids are playing on the side of the road in this. Kids are playing with bottles or whatever they can find. And they don't have that hope and that future and that joy that we have here and the comforts that we have here. And so we got to partner with this organization called Missions of Hope International, or or MOHI is what they go by. And it was started by Kenyans. It was started by a Kenyan woman, actually, that while she was in college, she went to this part of town and saw these people in extreme poverty and just showed up with a bag of rice. And she began to meet people, talk with them, get invited into their homes. And she said, we gotta do something about this. We gotta help these people out. And so she created this organization which began building schools and every school became Uh, came with a church because she understood that the love of Christ is the only thing that's truly going to transform people, right? We can meet their physical needs, but if we're not meeting their spiritual needs, at the end of the day, you know, we're not transforming their soul, transforming their heart. And so um, really, while we were in this city, it just seems so hopeless and so much despair, and, and it just feels really, really heavy. And then you go into the school, and it is literally like a light, like a city on a hill, like a place of joy in the midst of a very, very dark place. And you get to see these kids smiling, laughing, having a hope, having a future, um, being able to dream. You know, I'm going to become a doctor. I'm going to become a teacher. I'm going to actually have a future and a job to impact the community to kind of change this position. And so um, it's incredibly moving. And then we actually, um, uh, as you can see on the screen, some of the times and some of the places that we walk through and some of these kids there's such an inviting culture, such a lively culture, so full of dancing, joy, acceptance. Like every, we went to um, some different communities and some churches, and they always uh, did these dancing performances for us. But then they got us up out of our chair to dance with them. And naturally... On a Sunday. On a Sunday. We were dancing on a Sunday. Naturally, when you're me and Sam being brought up by a bunch of Africans to dance with them, you hey, feel a little moves. intimidated. We got some moves, man. <laughs> we got some moves. <laughs> You feel a little bit intimidated, but they are just so encouraging and so loving. I remember at the church service, there was this guy in like the third row that had the biggest smile on his face. It was just like this the entire time, just like encouraging us and building us up. And that's such a beautiful thing and something we need to always remember to be that encouragement, be that life, be that joy for one another here. Um, But the thing that hit me the most during this entire time frame was while we were at that church service, they took an offering at the beginning of it. Um, And so we all knew that it was coming, and they're like, okay, if you want to donate a tithe through the church, go for it. Mm -hmm. And so we all kind of put in a thousand shillings, which is a lot to them, but the equivalent of six dollars, really, to us, and put that in in the offering. And then we went back and sat down, and then I see these women get up with, you know, their child in their hand, walking to the front and putting an offering in the basket. And literally, I could not 
stop bawling my eyes out in the middle of the service there because it really made uh, this verse come alive to me, um, which God is good. Uh, in Mark 12, it, uh, verse 41, it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many threw in large amounts, but a poor widow, many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. And when you hear that people there literally are starving to find work and are living on less than a dollar a day and go multiple days without food or end up in lives of prostitution because they literally have no other ways to to feed their children, and then they're still going and putting in basically all they have to live on. It just made this verse come so alive to me and, and, and really broke me down. And God has been reshaping my view of the word generosity yeah. uh, because I guess in my perception, generosity was always, you know, I give for other people from my abundance and Lord bless me with more so that I may give more. But he's kind of flipping that on its head and saying, you have a pair of shoes, you have clothes, you have food, you have more than enough to live on. Yeah. Now give, and that is generosity. Yeah. And so anyone here that is feeling like they're in a place of lack and is giving out of that, then praise God for you because yeah. you're an example to all of us. You are an exact replication, uh, replication of what Jesus is talking about yeah. and who Jesus is, is praising here. So yeah. praise God yeah, for that. Yeah, I'm going to transition back to Sam. Yeah, and so with that, um, there were actually a handful of churches in the city of Chino that went. I've never seen this happen before. So there was probably like seven churches that went together, seven different pastors. And so Chase and I were able to go. And so there was others that went. And so what we are dreaming of is there's a place called Shambini on the, the coast of Kenya that is incredibly rural. I mean, like, they're, the way that they live is just, there's no spaces like cities and, and buildings and all of that. It's just incredibly <clears throat> filled with dirt everywhere. And so there's already a church, CVCC, that has given $45,000 to begin to build a school in Shambini. And so what we're dreaming of is as a church in multiple churches, what does it look like for a city to go on mission for those that are without so that they can teach them education? And as they teach them education, they teach them Christ. And that is the transformation that they find. Oh, there's, there's hope in this. I can get out of this. And so that's what we're going to be praying for and looking at. And, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of opportunities where you can sort of sponsor a child. So there's going to be the, that opportunity, and we'll kind of unravel that as the year goes on. But this is something that God has always put on my heart. I, I want to be a part of a community that doesn't just give here locally, but that gives missionally in other spaces, in, um, in other countries in the world. And so, yeah, what we have is no comparison to what they need. And so there was just, it was a beautiful moment for all of us. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to what that looks like. So, yeah, um, Chase, will you pray us out, man, as we go into the message? Father God, thank you for letting us be a part of your global body, Lord. Thank you that you are doing work all over this world. Thank you that your spirit is being poured out all over the world to bring hope, to bring joy, to bring transformation, to bring peace, 
Uh, Lord, I ask that you would provide for the needs of all your children around the world. Lord, I ask that you would give us your hands and your feet, that we would look for ways to serve and bless others, Lord, that we would find contentment in our own heart, that we would know that you are more than enough, that we would know that the things in life that are the most important are the relationships, Lord, the relationship that we have with you, the relationships that we have with one another. Lord, may our life be found in that joy and family and community and building one another up. Lord, and may we constantly be saying, Father, use me. Let me just be your hands and feet. Let me serve you. Let me bless you. Lord, I ask that you would fill Sam with your spirit today, Pastor Sam with your spirit today, Lord, that you would speak through him, Lord, that you would soften our hearts, open our eyes, let us be receptive, and that you would transform our heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Right on. Thank you, Chase. Awesome. Well, it's so good to be back. I am so excited. Um, I loved being out in Africa and Kenya, but if I could just be honest, I'm glad to be back here in America. <laughs> I'm glad to be back home with my beautiful wife and my, my beautiful children and being here in community. And as I was on the plane back, which by the way was like 20 hours, yeah, um, I had plenty of time to think about what I wanted to talk about to our community, to, to us. And I almost kind of felt inadequate about what to talk about when you go in spaces like this. You know, there's sort of this, man, like, who am I, you know, with all that we have, and then you go here, and, you know, Chase used the word extreme poverty, which is actually another level from poverty. So there's poverty, which is you still work, you, you, you work hard, but you're still in the poverty line. You're in lack. But then there's extreme poverty, which imagine not having a job every single day. And so you wake up in the morning and you go and try to find work as a father, and one day's work is like a dollar or two dollars to us. And you go and you work and you find that job, someone hires you and it's great, but then you go home, you sleep, your children are fed, and then you wake up the next day saying, oh, I got to try to find work again. Because you imagine as a father or as a mother going out, doing everything you can, and then you don't get work and you have to come back and tell your family there's no food on the table tonight. That's extreme poverty. And um, I just was, was thinking about how impactful it means to take someone alongside of you, not just, just to give them a handout. And that's what I love about this organization, um, Mary and Wallace, which those that founded it, they said, we are not a charity. We don't just give handouts to people because we've realized that we don't enable them to step into transformation. And it really got me thinking about what it means to be transformed. You know, um, as we were on one of the cities in the slums, as Chase was talking about, just extreme poverty, there was the social worker to my right, her name was Allison, and I was talking to her, she was probably about 21 years old, and she was a social worker, so she, she had a, a decent job. And I said, Allison, where did you grow up? She said, oh, this is where I grew up, here in the slums. And I said, oh, so you went through Mohi, the, the school in the church? She said, yeah, and it, it changed my life. And I said, so tell me, is the only way to get out of extreme poverty to go through Mohi. And she said, Mohi is our only hope. It allows us to be educated. We find Christ, but then we can dream that, no, there's a better day in the future. And I sort of was just like at loss of words, right? To just be like, man, this is to grow up in the slums and then to go back to the city, the space, which her mom still lived there, by the way. And we were able to go and meet her and pray for her. But it just got me on this, this idea of something that I kept hearing over and over is that hope transforms. 
So I want to talk just briefly this morning in the time that we have on what it means that hope transforms, a hope that transforms. If you were to open up um, your Bible in the, the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, I often go to this scripture when I'm thinking of transformation. And uh, again, as I was just processing this and digesting this, I had to literally stop at verse 2. And so I just want to read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. I have a little bit different of a translation than the NIV, but you'll still understand the scripture. It says, brothers, Paul is talking to um, a space in Rome where they're learning more about Christ and more about transformation. He says, brothers, I call upon you by the mercies of God to present your bodies to him, a living, consecrated sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, for that is the only kind of worship which is truly spiritual. And do not shape your lives to meet the fleeting fashions of the world, but be transformed from it by the renewal of your mind until the very essence of your being is altered so that in your own life you may prove that the will of God is good and well-pleasing and perfect. There's that, um, that, that line that says, present your bodies to God. Like, what does that mean? What do you mean, like, present my body to, to God? What, what does that look like? It kind of sounds like, like kind of weird, right? <laughs> but you have to understand there is no more characteristically Christian or disciple demand that we must present ourselves, all of us, our being, our essence, our physical body, our spiritual body, our soul, our mind, our thoughts, our emotions, everything we must present to him. Not just your spiritual well-being, but your entire body and specifically what you do with your body, which is a side note, a whole other sermon. Like what do you do with your body, right? So Paul says take your body Take all of the tasks that you have to do every single day. Take the ordinary work of the classroom if you're a teacher. Take that. Take the office space if you work in an office. Take you taking care of your children if you stay at home and watch over your little ones. If, take the teaching of elementary or junior high or high school students. All that you do every single day and offer all of that as an act of worship. And I think we sometimes, because of our language, we misinterpret what worship is. Um, true worship is the offering to God of one's body and all that one does every single day with it. So real worship is not the offering to God of singing songs, although it is that. It's much more, however noble and a ritual, however magnificent, real worship is the offering of everyday life to him. Every single day. Not something carried out in a church, but something which sees the whole world as the temple of the living God. And um, I'm all for, we say this, we got worship night. Come to worship night. Yes. But if we're not careful with that language, then we are growing in discipleship to say, well, then I have to go somewhere to worship. And because of Christ, he actually took that away from the temple. Because in the Old Testament, that's how you worship God. You would go to the temple in Jerusalem. That's where you would worship. But because of his presence, he is everywhere. Again, I'm not saying we shouldn't say that. That is a part of worship, to sing songs, to glorify him. All throughout the Psalms, we see written language of lyrics and beauty and wonder, to which David wrote many. 
We may say, I'm going to worship night, or older traditions of language, we don't really say that this here is, I'm going to church to worship. However, there's nothing wrong with that, but we shouldn't just limit the worship to God on a particular day. So this gets us in trouble with discipleship to Jesus. We should also say, I'm going to my job to worship God. I'm going to my office space to worship God. I am as a doctor, right, Chase? I'm going to help my patients as an act of worship to God. When I wake up in the morning and take care of my little ones, this is my worship unto God. Every part of my life, do you see how that's radical, by the way? It's much different than just saying, I'm going to church to worship. And it's, I'm going to, you fill in the blank, to worship God, whatever that looks like for you in your context. See, this changes our language and understanding to thus offering our entire being to God as a living sacrifice. Everything I do is under the way of God then. I mean, think about it, friends. Um, Like everything. Like not just a Sunday. No, when you wake up in the morning... And for me, sometimes, I feel like I'm getting a little bit more like a perfectionist, if I can just confess on a Sunday morning. I I think I've been getting too close to in my ways as I get a little bit older, and I feel like Kelly experiences that, if I just can be vulnerable. It's like, everything has to be in order. If you know the Myers-Briggs, I used to be like a P, which is spontaneous, but I feel like I'm becoming more of a J, which is like organized and sort of rigid, and yet... In those moments, I am to offer that as worship unto God. And I think that if we don't have that mindset that everything we do with our body and being and mind and thoughts should be as an act of saying, I am a a part of the temple of God. I am the temple of God. Everything I do should be his way. And by the way, this demands a radical change. Even when like, we talk about it, it's like, ah, oh, that's, that's a big shift. We must not allow the environments we live in, or better said, the culture form us. So here's the assumption of this statement. Not if you'll be formed, but into who will you be formed? Pastor Kel talked about that last week, which is amazing. I was able to watch it at night because like, I was like 11 hours ahead and I was like cheering her on in like my room as it was like nine o'clock at night. Because that is the journey, isn't it? Which by the way, discipleship is not just a one and done thing. It's a lifelong journey of walking with Jesus and walking with others. As we parent, as we father and mother, as we are in community in our crews, it's every ounce of who I am should be altered to the way of Jesus and knowing that that is actually forming me. So it's not if you'll be formed, but in who will you be formed? We are being formed into someone every single day. I don't know if you knew that. Every day. Our habits form us. The people we spend the most amount of time with can form us. Our workplace can form us. And here's the big one Paul is after. Our minds. Our minds, the way we think, the way we process, your processing mechanisms. When something happens and you see something on the news, where does your mind go in the neural pathways of your brain? And so Paul is after, don't be conformed to this world, this way, this culture. Instead, be transformed 
into a new man or woman by the renewal of your mind. And we obviously understand as we look at Paul, it's not just your mind, it's through the Spirit of God. Because if we just stop there, then we would just be all intellectual beings. So instead of all of this stuff forming us into someone we won't like at the end of our life, we ought to be transformed from the environments around us instead of being formed, or better said, deformed. Think about it like that. If you're not conscious about you being formed, right? And Pastor Kel talked about this. Then I would argue your default setting, um, I drove a Volkswagen in high school. Remember that, Sean? <laughs> I was that guy, like, oh, it was all loud. I had the music in the parking lot so everyone could see and hear, right? But I remember, you know, if you, if you drive um, stick, if you're going up a hill, you have to fight it. The moment you go into neutral, you'll go back. And I just would argue in our way of living and being in discipleship to Jesus, when we go into neutral, when we sort of just turn our brain off and just function and just be without habit, without shifting our mind, without reading the word, without prayer, then we're actually being deformed because we will be transformed. But into whom? And Paul says, oh, no, you got to offer everything of who you are if you want to be transformed into the man or woman that God has called you to be. And I just would argue this is the challenge because it is a radical change because it takes attention. It takes practice. It takes, dare I say, habit, which, by the way, that is what practice is. It's habits that we should stop, habits we should stop, and also habits that we should create or we should start. Here's a perfect example. I want to do a triathlon one day. I really do. I'm like, oh, I swam. I could do that. But if I were to jump in the pool, if I were to start the triathlon today, I would die. <laughs> I honestly, like I know there's some in our community that are doing merit, like right running and the 5K or however many Ks you're doing. And I'm so inspired by that. We were on the beach in, in, uh, you know, in Kenya when we went to the coastal cities, and so we were able to stay for a couple nights, and Chase is like, let's go do a workout and run on the beach. I'm like, yeah, let's do it, man. And I'm like exhausted. My nephew Isaac is with us. He's like 19. And I'm like the guy in the back exhausted, and I'm like, I'm only 30 years old. What's wrong with me? <laughs> I got the doc beating me, you know? And my point with that is, am I the type of person that can do a triathlon and finish it 100% right now? No, I'm not. Why? Because it requires practice. It requires getting my body ready for that. It requires me getting in the pool and swimming laps so that my lungs can expand. It requires me getting on a bike. I hate riding bikes like that. It requires running. Which, by the way, isn't that showing up? Isn't that, there's a bit of faithfulness in that. Isn't that a discipline? Oh, how is that any different in our walk with Jesus? It's not like, I went to church, I worshiped, I got my fix, I'm good, I'm transformed. Absolutely not. Habits, mind, thoughts, the way you take on the word of God, the way you speak to one another, that is the hard work of transformation over and over and over again. And which, by the way, requires a community. I'm so sorry if this affects your theology 
It is not just you and God. It is that, but it's so much more. Love your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, right? Every part of yourself, and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's both and. Because I know if I go on default mode, and Brendan, as an elder in this community, as a pastor elder, that's what elder means, by the way, pastor elder in this community, I know if I'm in my default mode, I need a friend to say, hey, man, wake up. Like, you're being deformed. Why are you talking like that? Why are you thinking like that? Oh, yeah, man, I wasn't, man, I wasn't practicing my habits. Thank you for calling me out on that. But I think we get a little uncomfortable when people do that, right? Hey, man, it's me. I'm doing me. Don't tell me what to do or how to think or how to process. But if we consider ourselves disciples of Jesus, then my friend, if you're along the journey with us and we're going somewhere, I will call you out and I expect you to call me out because it's an entire being of community. It's walking with Jesus that we must create habit and shift and change in our mind through the spirit and it transforms us. I'm, I'm so fixated on this idea of transformation. How does one become transformed? And I'm just convinced as we went and saw this extreme poverty, this girl, Allison, to my right, she's fully transformed. I'm like, where do you live now? Oh, I live in the city. Really? In my head, I knew that was more expensive. That's good. You're no longer in extreme poverty. And then watch this generational break. Her children and children's children will grow into a new space, not of extreme poverty, because someone said, I must take on the characteristic of Christ. I must give my life as a sacrifice. I must give up my career so that I can help those that do not know they, they, they need help or don't even know that they can get help. And I just am like, man, hope transforms, doesn't it? To know that there is a hope. That actually creates this idea, oh, I can get out of this. That's that hope that we hold on to as an anchor for our soul. But I have to have hope. I have to be told by others, this is possible. You can do it. And the same with transformation. It is, if I can say it like this, transformation is energized by hope. Think of it like that. There is an and it, it, sort of a, like a battery that, that pushes you. And it's that hope that can only come from Christ that allows you to walk into transformation. Because can I just be honest? I don't want to be the same Sam as a 30-year-old when I'm 40. If I am, what was I doing? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm being formed. But do I want to be that person that's angry and upset and still is rigid when things aren't right in the house, right? If I could just be honest. Or do I want to become a person of love, of peace, of not being anxious? Like, who's anxious in this room? A lot of us. Well, the culture is transforming you. I'm not as anxious as I used to be, but I'm, I still get a little anxious. Can I confess on a Sunday? <laughs> How about you? Oh, well, let's just look at all the things we're doing that's forming our anxiety. Like, the first thing we do when we wake up in the morning, Instagram. Wow, that's forming me. 
The first thing I do when someone's upset with me, I bite back and snap back. Imagine doing that 20 times over and over and over again every day for 20 years. Well, don't be upset when you're 20 years from now a person that's angry all the time. That's forming you. Instead, the way of Jesus says it's radical. You must present your entire being. You must change the way you think. Your desires must become my desires, God says. So that hope comes from God. That's my argument. And others can say, no, that's not true. The hope just comes from getting through it. And they can say that. But I just think we become, we just become self-help people if that's the case. Because at the deep, dense core of our soul, I've met people that are really, really well off financially, that have gone through the self-help books, and yet they are dead inside, longing for more, longing for love, filled with anxiety, stressed, control freaks. And I'm like, if that is what that does, that self-help stuff, I don't want it. I I have to be transformed into a man that is radical for the way of Jesus and that at the end result, I'm a person of love. Not judgment, love. And so, my friend, I would argue that this hope, when you put it into practice, you become transformed little by little, day by day, year by year. So Paul says, to worship and to serve God, we must undergo a change, not of our outward form, but of our inward personality and being. And the question is, well, what is that change? Paul would say that left to ourselves, we live a life dominated by human nature at its lowest, left to ourselves, like the default mode. In Christ, we live a life dominated by Christ and by his spirit leading us, calling us, convicting us, wooing us. The essential person has been changed. Now, each of us lives not a self-centered life. I would also argue this. When you begin to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, when you begin to be transformed by the Spirit of God, you take on sort of this idea of it's no longer about me. It's about us. It's about all those out there. It's about those in poverty. It's not about me. It's not self anymore. It's for the sake of others. It's to serve others. It's to walk with others as Christ has walked with us. Do you know studies show that if you're self-centered and stressed and anxious and depressed, if you, like secular thought says this, if you go and serve, if you go and help an organization, that depression begins to diminish because you realize it's not as big as I thought. Oh, doesn't Jesus have a funny way of showing us that the, the way towards the cross is self-denial? It's service to others. I I just don't know if we like that, right? Can we be honest? That's hard for me. I don't want to give up things. I don't want to give up the way I think and process. Yet, this is the road to transformation. If we desire to be people of love and joy and peace. So, This must happen, Paul says, by the renewal of your mind, then through the Spirit of God at work in your life. When Christ comes into our lives, we are new men and women. Our minds are different, for the mind of Christ is in us. I'll never forget Allison. 
who was born in a completely unfair environment. Like, think about it. I, I used to hear, like, secular voices say, if you were born in America, you were the luckiest person on the world. And I used to be like, what? Well, I, I don't get it. Until you go into another country. Like, wait. Then you ask questions to God. Why was I born here and they're born here? Like, that, those are heavy questions. So I, I will always think of Allison and remind myself, oh, no matter what you're going through, when Christ is in you, you have hope. Like whatever storm you're going through in our American context here and now in Chino and Chino Hills and Ontario and Rancho and all around in the Inland Empire, our suffering is real, our challenges are real, our trials are real, but my friend, if I could remind you, but the hope is in Christ. That hope will transform you. That hope, when you lean on him and not your own understanding, when you trust God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, there is an energized power through the spirit of God that gets you through the darkest nights. Oh, I can get through this, not because of me, but because of Christ in my life. So instead, Allison found hope and that hope came through a man and woman and wanted others to experience the hope of Christ. That hope came from God. So my friends, my, my question to you as we finish is, where are you on this journey? Do you need to be reminded today uh, that whatever season you're in, whatever you're going through, that Christ desires to form you? What he doesn't want for you is for you to be deformed but rather to be transformed. And if you'll allow him, your mind, your body, your soul can be transformed. I would argue, when you offer your being to God, what you're going through now, it could be a couple of months when you build practice and habit and put God first in your mind, in your thought, in your being, you will be different months from now even more different years from now if you just keep showing up to God. I'm offering everything to you, God. You're my hope. And this is hope I'm confident you can have and experience when you put your life in the hands of God. He will transform you. I, I just, I want someone to know that this morning. God will and can transform you. And I'll end with this, because I love reminding us of this. He'll transform you when you let him, when you show up, when you step up, when you change things. He wants to transform you now. I would argue as a father, for those that are fathers in the room, do we not want the best for our children? Magnify that times a million, times a million, times a million. That is how much the Father desires for you to be transformed. But he's not going to force your hand to change. You have to be willing to say, take my life as a living sacrifice. Everything, anything is yours, God. Change me, mold me, transform me from the inside out. You, God, are the potter. And that's my prayer for me. I'm with you in this and for us as a church community.
Would you stand and pray with me? Father, I just come before you for every person in the room, in our community. I, I just pray, Jesus, as we prepare for communion, that we would sort of in this next worship space, we would look at our life, examine our life, the things that we're doing, the habits we're creating, that we would allow you to examine us, Father, convict us where needed. And Lord, I know that whenever we sense condemnment, that does not come from you, but conviction does. And so, Father, as we prepare for communion, Lord, cleanse me from the inside out by the work of your spirit. And I, God, I, Sam, my prayer is that others in the room would say this as well, I want to be transformed. Whatever it is that's not of you, rid me of, God. Change me, Father. My hope is in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.